0: Good morning, I invite you all to open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 12, Moses is still teaching, still on the east side there of the Jordan River, and he says, when you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing. Then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, and to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house, and also have given it to the Levite, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed or forgotten any of your commandments. I have not eaten it while mourning, uh, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead." I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel as the ground and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey, as you swore to our fathers. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and these ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in His ways and keep His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances and listen to His voice. The Lord has declared you today to be His people, a treasured possession as He promised you and that you should keep all His commandments and that He will set you high above all nations which He has made for praise, fame and honor. And that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. Father, what a blessing and a privilege it is to come before you as a treasured people. A consecrated people. A people, Lord, set apart and made holy not by our own behavior, but by your precious love and the blood poured out by Jesus at Calvary. What an honor, what a privilege it is, Father, to be those who come before You as children, who can speak the name Father to the God of all the universe, who desire and and are able to draw near You as we fellowship with one another, to fellowship with Your Holy Spirit. Father, thank You and praise You that we have this blessed fellowship. God, I pray that You will open our eyes again this morning our eyes that may be a little bleary but open them wide Father to see your heart for your people to understand your desire and Lord to look into even the physical tangible material things that you've given us and understand how we are to handle those things in such a way that it impacts and affects our lives eternally and even emotionally Father Teach us your word this morning, Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1, says, God, be gracious to us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. He blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. God is a good God. God is a good God. He is simply good through and through. There is nothing inherently in God that is not good. And His goodness is an aspect of His very character, a fruit of His own spirit. Goodness. Sometimes I think His goodness gets a little bit overlooked among Christians especially because we think about His glory, His mighty power, His awe-inspiring eternal nature. But God is also simply good. He's just good. And we need to recognize that. Deuteronomy 26, the whole chapter is all about the goodness of God. It's about a, a people recognizing that goodness and responding to that goodness Understanding and declaring the blessings and the goodness of God. In Deuteronomy 26, Moses begins, in the verses before where we just read, he begins by proclaiming a day of thanksgiving, commanding that once the land is settled, all the people gather together and bring in baskets, the very first of the produce and the fruits of the land. That this be brought before the Lord as an offering is called of first fruits. The literal, actual first fruits... That are produced in the land. And there bringing all the fruit baskets together before the Lord. The people of Israel would celebrate. And rejoice. And praise the very goodness of God. Back in verse 10 it says. Now behold I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you O Lord have given me. And you shall set it down. Lord." Moses says before the Lord your God. And worship before the Lord your God. And you and the Levite and the alien who is among you. Shall rejoice in all the good. Which the Lord your God has given you and your household. Has God been good to you? In any way, shape, or form, can you look at your life and recognize any goodness that God has given you? Let me just say this. If you can't, you need to go back and look again. Because for all the hardship and all the tragedy and all the difficulties we may experience and face in life there is no doubt that God is good if you opened your eyes this morning and your lungs filled with air God is good if you saw the light of the sun felt the warmth on your face this morning God is good if you received a smile or a handshake or a hug this morning as you came into this fellowship God is good because none of these things would happen without the goodness of God If you've eaten a meal recently And enjoyed the taste of it God is good If you've read your Bible lately And had a sense of holiness about it God is good He is a good God And Moses gives the people this opportunity To proclaim this goodness He says man when you come into the land Bring the first fruits And and just rejoice in the simple goodness of God The closest modern example to this Would be our thanksgiving But there's a big difference between our thanksgiving and the offering of first fruits. For you see, our thanksgiving is focused on the thanks. Whereas God is more interested in the giving. We say, Thank you, Lord. The Israelites were told to give to the Lord and thereby reveal their thankfulness. God's focus is on. The giving aspect of things. Jesus said in Matthew six twenty one, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Paul said in 2 Corinthians nine verse seven, "God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed." And Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, "Do not neglect in doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased." In fact, after talking about this offering of first fruits, bringing the people together to bring their fruit baskets before the Lord and praise and glory in His goodness, Moses extends this with something else that was to happen in the third year called the third year tithe. The third year tithe in Israel. Verse 12. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. God declares, man, if you're thankful, bring it. If you're thankful, don't just speak it. Act on it. Reveal, show your thanks in your giving. Don't stop at thanks. Go right on to giving. And if we truly believe that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, then God says, then show me. Prove it. Be a giver. God is serious about Israel's tithe. About their tithe. 30 times He talks, or more. At least 30 times in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, God proclaims the tithe of Israel. In Malachi chapter 3, probably the most famous passage studied and especially brought, brought up by uh, pastors who are trying to you know increase the church budget. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says the following. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. It's the only time in scripture where God says test me. In all other things, don't test God, but in this he says test me. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven And pour out for you a blessing until it overflows I will rebuke the devourer for you So that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, Says the Lord of hosts All the nations will call you blessed For you shall be a delightful land Says the Lord of hosts If you tithe God says to Israel Test me in it Israelites, try me out. Bring the tithe. Fill up the storehouse. And let me show you how I will increase my goodness upon you. Bring the tithe. God commanded annual tithes. Festal tithes, third year tithes, along with other incidental opportunities and requirements for the Israelites to give. In fact, if you add up Israel's giving, as we talked about on Wednesday night, what you discover is they didn't give 10% of their income, of their gross. They gave roughly 23%. When you add up all the things that God called upon Israel to give. It's far more than a simple tithe. By the way, let's be very clear about what the word tithe means. It's one of those words that needs to be redefined from time to time. Because a lot of times people will say, oh, I brought my tithe and it's 50 cents. Or I brought my tithe is whatever they, they put in the box. Well, tithe does not mean giving. Tithe literally means 10%. We get the word tithe from an old English word that just means 10 but the hebrew word that's translated tithe is asarah and asarah means an accumulation of 10 in other words the picture is gathering up and collecting up an entire 10% and bringing it that's the meaning of the word tithing it's 10%ing Now, I'm going to get my personal opinion on this right out on the table so you don't have to guess where I'm coming from. I believe that the practice of tithing is not only Hebrew and Old Testament. I believe it's biblical overall, personally. Now, I don't think it's going to be a right or a wrong issue for you. It's not a make-it-or-break-it issue as far as getting into heaven goes. It's not a salvation issue. But I believe truly in my own life, because I have tested it, That the concept of tithing is biblical, not only for Israel, but for the church as well. In fact, I'll go further. The most sound financial advice I could possibly give, and this is the only area in which I would give financial advice. You don't want it from me in any other area. But in this area, spiritually, the most sound financial, spiritual advice I can give you is to tithe. If you come to me and you say, Rick, I'm having just a little bit of struggle with my faith, but, you know, I'm, I'm consistent in my attendance, I study the Word, I love to worship, but I, I, there seems to be something I cannot get beyond, I would say, how's your giving? Because gain, tithing, or the lack of it, the inability of us to release financially, is one of the last great strongholds against our faith. It's one of the things that that Satan, I believe, uses the most. I will believe God for every other thing. But when it comes to giving, I'm going to have to get back to you, Lord, on that one. I'm going to have to hold off because I'm not really sure that you're going to take care of my needs. Especially if I part with 10%. I mean, that's, that's out there. That's crazy. Cheryl and I have this conversation for, I don't know, 10 years of our marriage. She kept saying, why don't we just tie? And then I kept saying, why don't you look at the bills? (laughs) I don't see how I can shave off 10% right off the top. It's impossible. Which is a word you never want to use with God. Impossible. Because with God all things are possible So this morning here's what I want you to do I want you to understand and look at I want to chip away a little bit at this stronghold Especially if it's a stronghold in your life With the reminder that I have no idea what anybody here gives Which is really good for me because I can really dive into this Without worrying about making you feel guilty And that's not what this is about this morning There is so much more. I prayed earlier. There is a material slash eternal, material slash spiritual issue here. This is one of those areas where the physical runs headlong into the spiritual. Where there is something physically we can do to increase our faith. To deepen our spirituality. To actually draw us closer to the Lord. People ask, how can I get closer to God? I'll tell you one way. One way to begin doing it is tithing. That sounds so legalistic. It's not. Watch this as we study. Three things I want you to pay attention to this morning. Three areas, and if you're taking notes, you can jot these down as an outline. The first is my aptitude for giving. My aptitude for giving. Second is my attitude toward giving. My attitude toward giving. And thirdly, my altitude in giving. My altitude So my aptitude, my attitude, and my altitude. Let's look at the first one. My aptitude for giving, which is just the basic question. What am I apt to give? Well, what is my tendency in my finances with the Lord? According to Barna Research Group, 9% of born-again Christians tithed their income to churches in 2004. 91% did not. 9%, that's not even a tithe of Christians of born-again Christians who are giving a tithe. Now, if you think, well, that doesn't sound too good, and this is just statistics, gang, but the number of Catholics that tithe is roughly 1%. The average American household gave a total of 2% of their income to religious centers, quote-unquote, not necessarily even churches. What are you personally apt to give? Something we're set on at the bridge is, when we come across things in Scripture... When we come across biblical truth, we're not going to shy away from dealing with what the Bible says about it. Even if it's difficult, even if it's uncomfortable, what are you apt to give? Verse 13 tells us, "...you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house, and also have given it to the Levite and the alien and the orphan and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed or forgotten any of your commandments." And again, in the Hebrew Scriptures, more than 30 times God commands the people to tithe. In Malachi chapter 3, that we read a couple verses from a few minutes ago, that section begins with God saying that anything less than a full tithe from Israel is robbery. That's how serious God was about it. He says in Malachi 3 verse 8, "...will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me." But you say, how have we robbed you? "...in tithes and in offerings." Something we've had to deal with as we've been studying the Old Testament is the question, does does God change? Is God the same in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament? Now, I would hope that most of you would say, absolutely, he's He's the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. And so what God desires of His people and what He hopes for His people and what He longs for His people to understand, I don't believe is any different. No, we're not under the law anymore. We're not bound by the Old Testament rules and ordinances. But that doesn't change the fact that they are perfect. That there's something in them for all of us to learn and understand. And boy, it shakes me when it says, you are robbing me in tithes and offerings. Now I've heard this many times before, but... Many people said, well, okay, that's the old law, so the tithing thing, it just doesn't apply to me. First century Christians didn't see it that way, gang. As a matter of fact, in the early church, they gave outrageously. The reason, by the way, that we even have the Old Testament is that even though we're not judged or bound by the Mosaic Law, the early church believed what we believe today That all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture except for tithing. That's a separate issue. No, all scripture is usable for us in deepening our relationship with the Father, in equipping us for every good work. Furthermore, I believe it was Jesus who said, Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe, mint and dill and, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done, he says, without neglecting the other. Jesus never said, stop your tithing and start into justice and mercy. No, he said, start into justice and mercy and continue doing what you are doing. Continue the tithing. It's no less important. It's just that they were totally into the legalistic thing, and that's all they did. Jesus says, it's both. It's both. And it was Jesus who marveled at the widow, who didn't just tithe, she gave all that she had left. The last two cents in her purse, she dropped into the collection plate at the temple. In Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, we see Jesus marveling and pointing to her as the example of giving, which was giving everything, not just 10%. Look again at Deuteronomy 26.13. It tells us at the beginning, You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house. What does that mean? What does it mean to remove the sacred from my house? The word sacred here is the same word that we've seen many times before in our studies, especially in the book of Leviticus. Used 96 times there, it's the key word to the book of Leviticus. It's kadosh, holy. Holy, I have removed the holy from my house. What is the holy? It's that which is set apart to the Lord. That which belongs to the Lord and not to me. In other words, the Israelites were to understand before they ever got into the land that the tithe did not belong to them in the first place. It wasn't theirs. It was holy. It was set apart. It belonged to the Lord. And the Jewish person was to declare, I have cleared out my house of the tithe. I have left none of it behind. Well, that's a little demanding of God, isn't it? To say you must give me 10%. I require this of you. It's not demanding if it's His in the first place. And that's the meaning of the word, Kadesh, holy. Is as if the Lord was saying, 100% of what you have comes from me. But I just want you to set aside 10% to remind you where the rest of the blessing comes from. The rain, the rich soil, the harvest, the fruit of the land, it's all from me. So set aside and don't forget. let me tell you something about the beauty of the tithe, of this idea of 10%ing. 10% is 10% whether you have one cow or 100 cows. Whether you have one house or 20 houses. 10% is 10% whether your vineyard produces a few bottles of wine or thousands of bottles of wine. Whether you make $10,000 a year or $100,000 a year, the tithe levels the playing field in absolute fairness. God says, I just want you to give 10%. The moment God headed into that percentage area, he, He showed us that the aptitude for giving, my ability to give, is the same regardless of what I make. Regardless of my income, my ability to give is the same as it was when I was in college, as it was when I had my first job at McDonald's that only lasted two months. Charles says it was two weeks I'm sure it was two months (laughs) But it amazes me Because gang There are high school kids Giving 10% of their babysitting money Who are giving more To the Lord Than executives Making $200,000 a year Now the executive May give more In terms of tangible cash But if they're not giving 10% And the high school babysitter Is giving 10% Guess who in the Lord's eyes Is giving more The babysitter is it's even. It's the aptitude for giving. Do you have a high aptitude for giving? Are you a tither? Now, just a little note, if you happen to be a tither, it doesn't make you more spiritual than anybody else. It doesn't mean you're a better Christian. But the connection gained physically to the spiritual with tithing is amazing. And I can only tell you by personal experience how it changes your faith in God. How it changes the way you view the Lord and it changes your trust. But God isn't just concerned with our aptitude for giving with a certain amount. He wants to go deeper than that. He wants to deal with our attitude related to giving. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says three interesting things. I have not eaten of it, that is the tide, while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. Three quick things to note here about attitude toward giving. The first is you're not to give while mourning. Don't give it while mourning. Again, 2 Corinthians 9.6. Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's a farming principle. The more seed you put in the ground, guess what? The more is going to come out of the ground. And Paul connects that to our giving. He says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And we've seen this before. The word cheerful there in the Greek is hilaros, where we get hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. And I have yet to sit in a church when the baskets were passed around or the plates were passed around, and people just started busting out laughing. <laughs> it's giving time. Pass it over here. I can't wait. A hilarious giver. That's what God loves. So I said this on Wednesday night. We have a box in the back, and we don't mention it very often. It's just back there. If you've been at the bridge for a while, you know where it is, and you just kind of, if you want to give, if you purpose in your heart to give to the Lord, however much that is, that's where it goes. But if it's sticking to your hand when you're trying to put it in, why don't you just keep it this week? Wait until dropping it in there is a joy and a pleasure. Wait until your heart is ready to give, because God doesn't want you to give it while mourning. God isn't looking for a bunch of Eeyores in the back saying, I'm giving my tithe, probably won't be do me any good, but I'm giving it just the same. That's Eeyore's stuff. He wants Pooh Bears. <laughs> he wants giving because, you know, bears with very little brains just going, I can give 10%. Don't know how I'm going to make it this month, but woohoo, hilarious giving. I can do that What he wants is tigger givers That's what he wants (laughs) I'm convinced of that People bouncing around back there Because listen Tithing is a joy issue It's a joy issue Every time you give to the Lord What you're doing As we see in this chapter Is you're recognizing Everything I have Whether it's a little or a lot It's from him Praise God I could eat today Hallelujah, I had transportation to make it here in fellowship today. Praise the Lord that I had a bed to sleep in last night. Tithing is a joy issue. and Moses connects it between the tithing of Israel and the joyful celebration of first fruits. Tithing is truly thanksgiving. With the focus, the emphasis on the giving. And so the Lord, while wanting to develop this generous, hilarious heart in us, also wants us to develop joyful living. Not like that. He wants us to be joyful in our giving. Turn in your Bibles for a moment over to Matthew chapter 6. I've shared before that it was 35 years of my life before I finally decided I'd test Him in this. Before I finally decided. I was a pastor for for years before this. For about 11 years. I functioned as a pastor and did not give because, you know, as a pastor, we really couldn't afford it. My giving was to the church. It changed some things in my life. But I'll tell you what broke for me. What finally made me say, all right, all right, Lord, okay, we're going to give this a try. We're going to test you in this. It was this passage right here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Listen closely to what Jesus has to say. So for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Now stop right there. Just a show of hands. How many of you worried about your life in the last two weeks? Go ahead. My hand is not up as an example. It's up because I did many times. Don't be worried about your life as to what you're going to eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? (laughs) Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed themselves like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will, will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry. God's going to take care of the needs. He knows what your needs are. He knows all of your needs. And the question I had to deal with in reading this passage is, do I believe it or not? Who else is warm? Can we turn the heater off, let it? When I see people fanning in, you know, late October, I think, probably should turn it off. Thanks, Russ. I read this passage, and I I had to come back, this is a wall that I ran into. I I mentioned it being a stronghold against faith. Personally in my life, I had to deal with this. Do I believe that God is going to take care of me or not? If I don't believe it, then I I have no business giving anything to the Lord. Because I've got to take care of my family. I've got to provide for my kids' future. I've got to provide for my wife and, and my home. Because God's not I don't know Well, He could maybe I don't know if He's going to do it And when you're there You're going to have trouble giving Do you believe that God Cares about you? Do you believe that He is aware of you? Do you believe That He's going to meet All of your needs? You want to give hilariously Cheerfully Tiggerly Trust God Trust God. You see the connection between giving and faith. Trust God. That's what it's about. God doesn't need the money, but we need to learn to trust Him. And so He goes at the heart of the issue for many of us, and that's finances. He goes right into that that personal place, that place that we don't want to go, but God has no problem going there whatsoever. He goes right in the middle of it. He says, let's deal with the real issue, the root issue. Let's deal with trust. Deal with trust. So you're not to give while mourning. you are also back in Deuteronomy 26. You are not to give while unclean. Unclean. Because the Lord has no use for tainted tithing. The Lord has no use for tainted tithing. What do you mean? Matthew 5.23. Jesus says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You got a problem with someone? Don't be given to the Lord while the problem's going on. Because to the Lord, restoration is more important than giving is. Relationship is more important. Don't think you're going to come into church and make yourself all holy and righteous before the Lord by dropping a check-in when your life is a mess relationally. Fix that first. Because otherwise the tithing, the giving, is tainted. We are unclean. God is not impressed by our tithe. Our tithe is not about Him. It's about us. It's about our heart. And that's His concern. By the way, tithing is also, I believe, tainted when it's done with strings attached. I'll give... I'll give, but I better see things changing in the next week. I'll give, but I better find out that that, that things are being met in terms of my bills. Well, there's a third attitudinal prohibition. Don't give while mourning. Don't give while unclean. And number three, you are not to give to the dead. Now, that seems pretty easy. (laughs) When was the last time you wrote a check to the dead? Now, this was something that was a pagan issue. And so the Lord said Don't give your tithes Your offerings To dead things Don't focus on the dead As the pagans did What's interesting Is that even today In Roman Catholicism You can still buy An indulgence For someone Who's already died Don't give to the dead God will take care of them You, You can actually purchase A lesser amount of time In purgatory Which purgatory Is a whole other thing We'll have to talk about Another time you can actually buy yourself a little protection. And the Lord says, don't give to the dead. But more personally for many of us, how much of our income goes to dead things? How much of what we have coming in goes out to indulge the dying things, the things of the flesh, the things that are not going to last, the things that are simply going to burn? DVDs came out you know, many years ago now. We're all used to them, and many of us have our DVD collections And we all thought when the DVD came out Finally, actually let's go back before that When the CD came out We thought finally we get away from vinyl which scratches and and it warps in the sun And it doesn't last I remember my first couple of DVDs I was so excited that now I have music that's eternal (laughs) Those old DVDs aren't playing so well anymore Dead things Dead things We pour money into our homes, into our cars Into our lifestyles Dead things doesn't last. It doesn't come back. It doesn't bless. It doesn't change. Dead things. How much do we indulge in dead things? You're not to give to the dead. And yet we spend millions on things that are either going to die or they're going to fry. Peter says the whole world and all the elements are going to be burned up at some point. So no matter how nice your garden is, it ain't going to last. No matter how beautiful the paint job on the home is It's not going to last It's going to burn How much are we focusing on dead things As opposed to living things like Children in Africa Like churches being planted in the Philippines Like actual activity of lives being saved Souls for eternity Living things That's where God calls our money to go Because the Lord wants us to be invested in life And not death. Well, looking back at verse 14, it tells us, I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. My aptitude for giving, my attitude toward giving, and finally, number three, my altitude in giving. What in the world does that mean? Well, I had to pick an A word and it kind of fit. Verse 15 While they were giving, they were to pray this prayer. I love these words. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey as you swore to our fathers. I use this word altitude because the whole idea is looking up. Well I'm giving It's not watching the money go in It's watching the Father Praying to the Father Keeping my eyes fixed on the Father While the giving's going on And you know how easy it is To give when you're looking at the Lord (laughs) Take it all Father I'm amazed by you I'm in wonder at you I love you Lord I trust you to bless me in such a way That all this just doesn't matter When you're watching it go in When your altitude is down It's much more difficult To give to tithe and when you're looking up when your altitude is high God is good He knows our needs before we even need them and so the very act of giving I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way maybe you have it's worship your giving is an aspect of your worship Because as the Israelite, while you're giving, you're praying. You're saying, Lord, I trust you to bless. Lord, you have been so good to me. Lord, praise you. Thank you. Thank you. As the giving goes on. And listen to this. Down in verse 18. The Lord has today declared that you His people... He has declared you to be His people a treasured possession. And He has promised you that you should keep all His commandments. That He will set you high. High in altitude, high above all the nations, which He has made for praise and fame and honor, and you will be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as He has spoken. If only Israel had understood this. If they had understood what was behind the tide, the trusting in the Lord, that it literally would elevate them altitudinally. Is that a word? I don't know. But it would take them high. The Lord saying, I will lift you up above all nations. You do this, you trust me, and the context you're getting is tithing for Israel. If you will tithe and follow through on this, I'm going to raise you up. And the nations will be absolutely blown away by how blessed you are. Why did that never happen? Because they never trusted him. Because they didn't follow through on the tithe. Because they didn't give. They didn't believe that God was going to do what He said He'd do. Otherwise, today, we wouldn't see Israel in a mess in the Middle East. We would see Israel lifted up up, above all the nations. As God, by the way, promises it will be one day. Not because of them, but because of Him. And that intention, gang, is exactly the same for you and for me. To be raised up. To be lifted up. Above all the nations. Linda Gardner was just saying this morning, I cannot wait until he comes. You know, we were talking about the Israel trip, and, and long story short, that, that she's not going to be able to go. And, and saying, that, but you know, I, and I said, well, you're going to see Jerusalem, you're going to see Israel one day anyway. However, you, you know, we're talking about well, maybe the next trip in a year or so that she could go on that. And she said, boy, I hope I see it sooner than that. I hope the Lord comes sooner than that. That's altitude thinking. I want to be lifted up. I want to be raised up. Jesus said in Luke twenty-one, twenty-eight: "Lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near." Look up, trust up, faith up—not down into all the physical and tangible and material and financial things. That's downward focus. Lift your eyes to the altitude that God has called us to. First Thessalonians four, sixteen—a verse I haven't read in a while, but needs to be read often. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be in the Lord. It's high altitude belief, trust, faith that affects my giving, and my giving, gang, affects my altitude, my ability to look up, to be drawn up in the life that I'm living now don't misunderstand me you can't buy your way up don't increase your giving simply because you're hoping to get a higher seat on a higher cloud it's not going to work that way you don't increase your tithe to increase your altitude but giving better yet tithing listen to me on this it deepens your faith it's how it works it deepens your faith if you want a deeper faith that's a great place to start If your faith is just fine and you don't feel like you need to get any closer to the Lord, don't worry about it. But I'm not sure if I know anybody who feels that way. Don't we all want to draw near to Him? Don't we all want to be close to our Father? Don't we want to be treasured by Him? Well, listen, final thing. There's something the Lord wants His people to see in all this money talk. And it's a value that's absolutely huge. Verse 18 again says, The Lord has today declared you to be His people, a treasured possession. This word treasured in the Hebrew we talked about Wednesday night its segula. It sounds like a name of a creature in Star Wars, but it's a Hebrew word, segula, that simply means treasured. King James translates it, a peculiar people, and I know some of you can buy that a little easier than treasured. You just look around and think, yeah, peculiar's right. But it indicates something, segula. I mention it for this reason. The word indicates a treasure chest. A treasure kept close, guarded, protected, affectionately loved, watched over. A treasure chest. And Peter, picking up on this in 1 Peter 2.9, says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own treasure, for God's own possession. Or again in the King James, you're a peculiar people. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more peculiar than tithing. It doesn't make a lot of sense in the world. It doesn't make sense financially. I'm not telling you that if you determine to start giving 10% in your life that suddenly it's all just going to work out beautifully. Suddenly everything is going to add up with the calculator because I still haven't been able to make it add up. And yet I've never missed a meal and I've never had to go without clothes on my back which I'm sure you appreciate. And I've never been out in the cold. God has always provided His way His unique and blessed way. God's desire for us as much as it was for Israel it is for us to be a treasured people treasured loved This is what he wants a people for his own possession and by the way turn this one over look at it in the reverse Jesus said in Matthew 6:21 where your treasure is there your heart will be also Well Jesus what's your treasure You know what it is don't you It's you It's me We are His treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And His heart is for His people. Oh, Rick, how do you really know that? Because I saw His heart burst open wide for me on the cross. I saw Him give up everything. Jesus didn't just give 10%. Or 15 or 20%. He gave 100% of who He is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. That's Jesus' example. 100% giving all that He had to give. Living a life in abject poverty, not having a place to lay His head while He walked on the earth. He was a pauper. The only reason he was buried in a rich man's grave was to fulfill prophecy and the grave wasn't even his besides he didn't need it for long. As he was out of there quickly. Why does God invite us to give? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And gang, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. And I want to challenge each and every one of you. I don't know where you're at in your giving to the Lord, in your trust for the Lord but I want to challenge you to give Him your heart. Give it to Him and see what happens to your faith. Father, this is one we need help with because we do love You. But our flesh, when it comes to money, Father, is is very tight. We find ourselves in that uncomfortable place of wanting so badly to trust You but just not believing it's going to work. Father this fellowship is incredibly generous We have been amazed since day one At the way people at the bridge have been giving And so Father even as we pray and consider this this morning We recognize Father it's not a matter of needing more money in the coffers It's not that the bridge needs more finances Lord it's that well this fellowship does need to give more spiritually Spiritually There is a great distance between where we are as a a body and where we could be in terms of faith when it comes to our giving. And I pray, Father, for conviction this morning. Conviction that I know can only come by your Holy Spirit. Not guilt, Lord. Guilt never does any good. I, I, I pray, Lord, for conviction. And a willingness among those gathered here to step out. And trust you father so that their faith would be laid wide open so that our trust Lord would increase so that our hearts could be given over completely to you father I pray for all the power of your spirit to break and crush the strongholds that Satan has on our money I pray that that would be divided and, and taken apart. That doorways, gateways, Father, would be lifted up and open. That we might find ourselves rushing headlong into faith, looking up and trusting you with all that we are. And Father, I pray that you bless this fellowship, bless this family, bless my brothers and sisters. As we simply seek to follow You. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.